following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Good morning. Happy New Year's. Pastor Steve did not let himself go over the winter break, grow a beard, put on some weight. He's on vacation. You're stuck with, yeah, shrunk too. Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> Ryan Dahl used to say, I always know when you're preaching because this is a lot lower. Um, so I got a question for you. Have any of you this, uh, a couple nights ago, did any of you make a New Year's resolution? saw one hand. Well, you guys are quitters. Um, uh, It's it's all right. Uh, How are you you doing so far? It's day two. You still doing strong? She's ignoring me now. Um, I, I I don't make New Year's resolutions. It's not because I think they're a bad idea or 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 it's a it's a terrible practice. I just know who I am. And, and I know I won't make it. And uh, if, if you can't do it right the first time, don't do it at all. It's pretty much how I am. So uh, I never, I've never really made them. One year I tried making one, and, and I think I lasted two days. But I'm pretty sure by the end of the week it was already thrown out. But today uh, I kind of have a resolution for all of us as Christians that that we should make not only at New Year's Eve, but on the eve of every day and, and every new year that we have for the rest of the years that we have here on this earth. And, and my hope is that, that when you see what this resolution is, you're not only just making it on the mornings, but you're making it hourly, minute by minute. Um, and, and if and if we follow this resolution, this this new idea, maybe for some of us, I think you'll see that your life will be radically transformed. Transformed. So let's pray. Dear Lord God, I, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the chance that we have to gather together here, Lord. And I pray that you just give me a spirit of peace and clarity. Lord, I am so grateful that it's not me or any power or ability that I have, Lord, but it is you and your spirit working through your words that changes lives. Lord, help me to trust in that and help me to have boldness to proclaim what it is that you laid on my heart. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Um, so when pastors, um, but we are going to be looking at first Thessalonians. So I thought it'd be good that we kind of give you the, the brief overview of kind of what happened and where we've been. So, uh, buckle up because here we go really fast. Thessalonians, all right, is a book written to a church in the city of Thessalonica, which is in northern Athens, northern Athens, northern Greece right now. Macedonia is the city providence uh, that, that, that it was in at that time. And um, originally, Paul did not have that city on his itinerary for the missionary journey that he was on. He was actually in Asia Minor at the time and had a dream that the people of Macedonia were calling him to come and share God's truth with them. So Paul wakes up the next morning and travels over to, to Macedonia. And first he visits Philippi and the missionaries plant a church. They get arrested. Even though they've been condemned of nothing, they are beaten and jailed. Finally, after fear of knowing that they are Roman citizens, they are released, which Paul then moves on down the main road that the Romans built so that they could move their armies to suppress the nations to the east of their kingdom, their, their Roman empire. 
He, he's traveling down this road, comes to the city of Thessalonica, does the usual thing, enters the synagogue, teaches Christ from the scriptures. Some of the God-fearing Greeks there like what they hear and are changed by it. He then continues to go and preach the word in the city there, and many of the pagan Greeks come to know Christ as well. The Jewish leadership is not happy with this, so they run him out of town. So Paul travels a little bit further, decides to get off the main road, goes south to Berea, where he is welcomed in. They hear the word, they test it, they see that it's good. Word gets back to the Jews in Thessalonica that what is happening, so they send over a crew of people to kick Paul out of Berea, which he then travels further south. And finally, he ends up in Corinth, where he's writing this letter back to this church in fear initially because he didn't get to spend much time with them but has gotten a report from Timothy that things are going extremely well. That this church is growing. Even under persecution, they are standing firm to the little truth and the little teaching that they received from Paul and others while they were there. So this small church has kind of challenged us to see that, that our hope should be in Christ alone. That the Holy Spirit reveals the gospel and in that gospel we find joy. And so that brings us to today. And our key verses today are, are verses 8 and eight through 10 of chapter 1. But I'd like to read all of chapter 1 to kind of give us the full flow of what's happening. <clears throat> Paul, Silvanus, also known as Silas. And Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and father, your work of faith, your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith and God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The word of the Lord sounded forth from them. The word of the Lord is a common phrase found all over the Old Testament. And usually when the phrase is used, it's followed by some sort of judgment given by God. But here the emphasis is not on a judgment or a wrath to come on these people, but instead on it, it's the message of salvation. It's the gospel. And it's the word of the Lord because it finds its origins and its completion in the Lord. And in a way, I guess if you think about it, it is a judgment. The word of the Lord that's sounding forth from them, this gospel message is a judgment. I have been judged righteous because of what Christ has done for me. And as, as, as you read through further, it, it says it's not only the word of the Lord that's sounding forth from them, but their faith in God has gone forth everywhere. And I want to caution us not to separate the word of the Lord and your faith in God here. Because you see, their faith was based on something. 
It wasn't just some, I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and then I'll make my own faith up. Their faith was based in the word of the Lord. The Holy Spirit that convicted them, convicted them with the words that came from Paul and the other missionaries with him. Our faith can never be separated from his word. But you see, the Thessalonian church wasn't just a body that merely talked about the word. They lived it. They shared it. They dwelled on it. And in it, they found life. It amazes me that this church with, I want to say simple understanding, but that might not be the best terminology here. But this this church that had limited training. Remember, that was the fear, one of the fears that Paul had when he writes this, that, that they, they might not have known enough to 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 stand up to the persecution they were facing. But this church, with the limited understanding and training they had, it was enough. It was enough to change their lives in such a way that they would never, ever be the same again. And that convicted me when I was preparing this because I've been a Christian a long time. I went to school. I read a lot. And I still look at my life sometimes and wonder, man, why haven't I changed like that? But this small, this this young church in a pagan city turned from idols to serve the living God and eagerly anticipate the return of the resurrected Messiah. That's radical. Let me put in the words of of the Bible, because I'm looking at some of you and I'm getting the vibe that that just doesn't seem that radical to you. So uh, let's look at verse 9 and 10. Excuse me. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. Radical. You're still not getting it, are you? I just... Okay. For they themselves, they in that text, believe it or not, are other Christians. As Paul is traveling around and Christians are meeting up with him to to talk to him or he's visiting the church in Corinth, they're saying, have you heard what's going on up there? They're turning from idols in a way that's unbelievable. They're serving our Lord in ways that we can only imagine. And they're anticipating his return like their life depends on it. And that's coming from other believers. What are we missing that they had? The Thessalonians weren't superhuman. They didn't get some extra blessing or, 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 or had stronger willpower. Their faith was rooted in the word of the Lord. What do they have that we don't have right now? Nothing. Let me, let's, let's put this in, in modern day time. Have you ever met a new believer? That they, they're just so goofy for God. Like the passion just flows out of them. And, and as you roll your eyes at how they're behaving and what they're doing and what they're saying, somewhere deep in your inner recesses, you're jealous. And you, you, you take a minute and you ponder to yourself, where has my zeal gone? But that only lasts a minute because you've got to get back to the rest of life. Like that's, that's what these Christians in this church in Thessalonica, they were, they were goofy for God. 
They were, they were so passionate and so firmly believing what Paul and Silas and Timothy and others were saying that they lived in a way that other Christians were like, wow, that's amazing. Here's a question for you guys. Do we live lives that make other people wonder, how do you do that? Do we live lives that even people, let, let alone people in Texas or New Jersey or, or even Idaho, the few that live up there. Do, forget those people. Do people in this valley, the Salt Lake Valley, do they look and say, what is going on over there at Salt Lake EV Free? Those, those people, like, there is something different happening there. Are they pondering what's going on in our lives? Bring it even closer. Your friends, your family, your coworkers, the people you touch every day, do they turn their heads and wonder, how? How do you do that? Look at your life, Christian. Are your ambitions, are your values, is your schedule radically different from the people who have no hope in Christ? Has your Christian walk become a collection of self-righteous works? Or maybe it's just your Christian faith is really just an intricate system of schemes to, to hide your sin or justify your struggles. Because the Thessalonians, it wasn't like all the problems disappeared. But they just lived with those problems in such a radical way that people were amazed by it. So my prayer today is that that this sermon first does not turn into a rant. But 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 that it is taken as an encouragement. And and not necessarily like the, the good encouragement, like good job, high five. But like the kind of encouragement that hits you and makes you reevaluate where you are in your current trajectory in life and say, man, I need to move from this place. As I was preparing this sermon, um, it did not go well. I thought I had it all figured out. I, I, I knew it was preaching. I had most of my researching done. Earlier than this week, um, I, I had three good points. I just needed to fill them out. I had a pretty good introduction. Intro, I can, can't speak. Um, all I needed was a conclusion. Put my stamp of approval on it. Done. Let's go preach. So Thursday it starts. I'm just not getting it. It's not satisfying what I think it needs to be. And, and God's just raking me over and over and over. Like I'm supposed to preach how to live a radical life when I look at my own life and I'm like, man, it is just not, not there. So I, I come home late Friday night, literally on the verge of tears. Um, it's true. I didn't sleep. I was fearful. So I woke up Saturday, worked some more, went to a basketball game, came home, worked some more, didn't sleep that great. And this is actually the first time I'm running through my notes. And with all that said and done, I'm sitting here thinking, why am I so worried? I have one main thrust today. And if you don't get anything else, please get this. So if you're taking notes, this is where you're going to really want to start writing stuff down. And my hope is that, that if you get this, you put it in your, res the, I don't know, somewhere in the back of resources of your mind that days from now when it pops up in your head, 
all the other stuff I'm going to talk about will flow from this. And, and you don't need to have a degree from a seminary to get this stuff to flow out of what I'm about to say. So write this down. Actually trusting in the gospel radically alters your life. Actually trusting in the gospel radically alters your life. See, see, many of us, we know the gospel, but knowing and actually trusting it are two completely different things. So if you are tired, you can go to sleep now. You wrote that down. The Thessalonians, their hope was in Christ and his gospel, and it didn't come to them just in word. It came to them through the power of the Holy Spirit, which convicted them, and they found joy in it because they trusted in it. And then they saw that their life was changed because of it. The gospel isn't merely a get out of hell free card. It's not this idea like I'm good now. I'm not going to hell. I can do whatever I want to do. I got it now, Jesus. Thanks. Because this mentality robs the gospel of so much that it has to offer us. The gospel was something that this first century community lived by. The gospel was integrated into every aspect of their being. Every fiber, every part. There was no separation. They talked about it. They encouraged one another. They held each other up to it and said, here's the gospel. Here's you. There's something that you're not trusting in. It's extremely hard for us as a community to preach the gospel to one another when we're never around each other except Sunday morning sitting in our rows of chairs. What made this church in in Macedonia turn from their false gods to serve the true living God? It's the very message that's proclaiming forth from them in Macedonia and Achaia. It's the gospel. The Christian life should beg the question, how did you overcome sin and idolatry? How did you overcome sin and idolatry? Some of you might be looking at at the passage here and, and be saying, you know, Kurt, I don't have any idols. And I can't see anywhere in the, the main focus of our, of our verses where it's even talking about sin. I've got two things to point out before we kind of hash out this thing. First off, yes, you might not have a statue in your living room. You might not have offered sacrifices on an altar recently. But you have idols. Here in America, we just have civilized them. We call them by different names, but they're the same exact false gods that they were following. And the second point I want to make here is that if if you actually were to put away the worship of idols, you'll find out you sin a whole lot less. So how does the gospel help us overcome sin and idolatry? The Holy Spirit works in our lives. He gives us a new life. He takes away our, our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. He pulls the veil from our eyes to see really what's happening. Shows us reality. He helps us to see that we go to idols for fulfillment or, or to satisfy a need, but, but they're never really met. Either this idol doesn't meet it, so I go find another one. And try that one out. And when that one doesn't meet it, I go and find another one. Or something on on like the surface level is satisfied, but not enough to fully satisfy me. So I'm going again and again and again and again. But that deep yearning in, in, in all of us, in, in our lives, is never met. The gospel that, that Paul brought to this church here showed them 
a different way. It showed them a way to actually be redeemed back to the real, true, genuine God. It showed them, here's what real God is and wants and desires for you. Your gods are dead. They're powerless. They have nothing to offer you, yet they want everything from you. Yet you have nothing to offer this God, but He'll give everything to you. So, to jump back on my struggle that I was having with the sermon, I, on Friday I, I was struggling with two, two idols. And it's kind of funny because they're similar but different. Uh, um, I was struggling with the, 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 the desire, the idol of praise of man. Because I really want you to like what I'm saying. Because if not, the next time the e-link goes out and Steve's not preaching, you're not going to show up. But my other is also the fear, that the, 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 the praise of man, but also the fear of man. Not only do I want you to think I'm good, but I'm afraid you won't. And even though none of you will come up to me and say, man, that was a terrible, terrible sermon. As soon as you get in your car, you'll think it. Man, that was a terrible sermon. Horrible. What was he thinking? He was just rambling incoherently. But two things helped me overcome this. First, I can't be fired unless the majority of you vote me out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That really wasn't it. Although Kim and I looked that up. That is true. We did look it up. Different reasons. <laughs> really what it was is I eventually had to come to a point and, and, and praise God that I have a wife who challenges me in this because she helped me to see this and, and really dwell in this. But I serve a living God that he has thought so highly of me that, that he, he has sent his son for me. And honestly, I don't care what you think. Like, I've moved past that. I, I hope you think it's good, but not because of what I've done, but that you're getting something out of this that's changing you. I, I don't care what you think. Your opinion does not matter to me because until you're able to offer me what God has offered me, I don't care. The satisfaction found in the real God who knows my needs before I even know them and only desires what's best for me, shatters the bonds that idols have on me. I mean, think of your idols. Do they edify you? Do, do, do they make you a better Christian? Do they knit you closer together with your family or your church body? If you were really, truly to evaluate your idols, your answer to those would probably be no. And yet you go back to them time and time again. Turning from idols in, 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 in the first century world was a direct evidence of conversion. And, and honestly, it should still be today. The Thessalonians didn't just turn from false idols. Verse 9 tells us that they turned to serve the living and true God. They repented. We need to talk more about repentance. And not just up here, because Steve does a great job of doing that. But, but, but with our friends, with our community groups with our neighbors, with our spouses, with our kids. If you're struggling with an idol or, or truly repenting, not just justifying or trying to put away with your own ability, 
get together with someone and talk about this. You can't worship God and at the same time seek fulfillment in something else. I talk about this with, with, with kids in the youth group, like repentance is turning from this to God. It's not, I'm sorry for this, let me try this instead. It's not, it's not turning from something to find a different lover to replace it. It's turning from those false lovers to the jealous lover. The gospel didn't only impact the Thessalonian church's desire to serve, but what service was. So as a Christian, our life should beg the question, how do you serve selflessly? How do you serve selflessly? Once you become a follower, follower of Christ, something in your life doesn't just snap and all of a sudden you're a volunteer maniac. Like there's a need and you jump into it. It's, it's not that. As a follower of Christ, you desire to serve because you want to be an imitator of Christ. Matthew twenty twenty eight, Christ says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. If that's not a bold statement that hits you, God in human flesh didn't come to be served, but to serve. Yet me, fallen, finite, limited God thinks that I should be served. As a Christian, you desire to serve because you're called to live a life that is intentionally focused on him. Not on you, on Him. So there's this book called The Gospel-Centered Life. And they use this term, glory intentionality. And some of us here know what I'm talking about because we're going through that book. But, but it's this process of constantly asking yourself, how will this glorify God? What intentional steps can I take to make the focus Him? Not me, not you, not this, Him. Why don't we serve? What are our reasons? Maybe it's because I'm too busy. Something else is more important than living for Christ and His glory. Or I'm not sure how. The fear of man or the fear of failure. Or, or I'd rather be serving in this way, doing this. I'm better at that. Your preference and your honor over God's. Sounds like idolatry, doesn't it? But when you live a life with this glory, intentionality, service, ministry, conversations, helping others with needs, teaching Sunday school with, by the way, we need help with. Talk to Debbie. She's right over here somewhere. Teaching Sunday school, preparing meals, giving up our stuff for others, traveling to other parts of the world to bring the gospel, setting up and breaking down after events, disciplining our children. All of these things are acts of service, not for us, not for us, but done because His name, God's glorious, holy name will be exalted through those services. Why don't we serve? The gospel itself sets before me a model of generosity. The gospel's good news because it's a mean of generosity. As I reflect on it, the Holy Spirit generously changes my heart towards God and towards others. I should seize every opportunity that arises to share that generosity, shouldn't I? The gospel also reprioritizes my life. God is the one I desire to glorify, not myself. It also frees me up to give my life, my stuff, my abilities, because 
This world is not where it ends. All this stuff comes to pass. I'm going to I'm going to butcher an analogy that that John Piper uses in one of his books. He talks about this older retired couple. They've been saving for retirement to to live it up. And and, and they, they 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 spend their retirement walking the beaches trying to find the most beautiful shells they can find. And finally they they pass away and and they're brought before God. And and he he says, so what have you been doing with your life now that you have kind of ended your careers? What did you do with that time, the money, the stuff that I gave you? And they hold up a jar of seashells. And God's just looking at them like, yeah, I remember when I made those. Great. What did you do with your life? They were living the dream, the American dream. I know it well. My parents live on a beach in South Carolina. They sleep well. My dad sleeps in a lot. I actually just had a conversation with him and, 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 and flat out said, what are you doing? You know the gospel, yet you don't know it. The funny thing is, is he's going to hear this because he usually listens when I'm preaching. <laughs> the Christian life should beg the question, how are you at peace and rest in this life? Right here. How are you fine when stuff is taken away from you? How are you fine when people put you down? How are you fine when things don't work out the way that you planned? Verse 6 of Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. He also says in chapter 2, verse 14, that they were suffered, that, 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 they, that they suffered at the hands of their countrymen. Even after this persecution, they walked in ways that honored the Lord and made others ask, who is this God that they're serving? How is he so important to them that when we take their stuff, we beat their bodies, they praise him. Who is this God? The gospel had shown the Thessalonians that the son of the father, Jesus Christ, was a propitiation for their sins that he removed wrath i don't need to to worry about my future and whether it's going to be bad or good i know it is good why because my destination isn't established with what i have what i'm capable or what i'm storing up for the future it is established in Christ. His resurrection is a seal, a promise to all those who put their faith in him of the great reward that we have as co-inheritors with Christ. The gospel has shown me that God wants what's best for his people. I'm one of his people. He wants what's best for me. He's also over all of this stuff. So if you're going to take this from me, God is the one allowing you to do that. Because if he didn't want you to take it from me, there is no chance you're going to take it from me. And that stuff that I have that you're taking from me, I only have it because he gave it to me. Go ahead, take it. This is the fast becoming one of, one of my favorite verses, Romans 8, 32. I think I actually read it 
the last time I preached, but <clears throat> Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here's the problem that we have. The things I want. Aren't the things I need. The things he wants to give me oftentimes aren't the things that I want. But when I sit and dwell on this and realize what he has to offer is way better than anything that I want, it's amazing how freely I get through life. There's a freedom. There's a, a stress lifted. There's a, there, there, just amazing stuff happens. When my grandmother passed away, there's a random story just popped in my head. We, we, my, my sisters and, 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 and myself and my wife went up to her house in upstate New York and, and I knew we were going to be sitting around for a while. So I was like, I'm going to bring my guitar. And so we're sitting in my grandmother's house and then finally we, we move. We're, we're getting prepared to, to move over to uh, the funeral home. And I, I can't remember who it was, but I, I think it was my younger sister. It might have been Leah, but um, I said, why don't you bring the guitar and let's sing some songs. And um, my grandmother might not have been the strongest believer, but, but I, I have no doubts that she was. And I remember singing songs, worship songs, with her casket right here. And my cousins who aren't believers and friends of the family who came up for it. And, and we were singing songs and, 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 and I'm crying not because grandma's dead. I mean, grandma's been dying for a long time. She was 97 or something like that. But knowing, take my body, God. It's yours anyway. My reward is not found here. I remember walking out after playing the guitar to go find something to drink or something. And, and the owner of, of the funeral home comes up to me and he starts thanking me. He says, I, he goes, I love that you and whoever that was sang, were singing those songs. That you had joy in this moment. And the rest of my family who were not saved, who were there, were wondering, how? How can you be happy? How can you be singing songs about how great God is and how He knows us and loves us? Look behind you. And when I look behind me, I'm saying, yes! I'm going to read you an excerpt from this book I already quoted about the gospel-centered life dealing with how do we live with life now through the gospel in a way that is so future, eternal life focused that people look at our lives and say, how? Consider Sue and Peter. There are so many things they miss. Their family, their friends, cornflakes, corn movies, 24-hour electricity. The missionary service is demanding. Sometimes they have pangs of resentment, but they discipline their heart. They look back at the cross and they look forward to eternity. If they think about the country they left, then they begin to think about returning. So instead, they long for a better country. A heavenly one. Or consider Jake. He's sitting in front of his computer. It's been a bad day. Now all he can think about is porn. It would be so easy and so secret. But he turns the computer off, phones his friend Simon. Tonight, he's not going to opt for the pleasure of sin. That's okay. After all, the pleasure of sin is so short and only for a time. He's looking ahead for his great reward. 
Or consider Brian, a virgin on the wrong side of 30. His friends think he's crazy. He'd love to have a wife, but only someone who would partner with him in ministry. And it's looking less likely as every year passes. But that's okay. He's happy to put up with the disappointment and even the shame for the joy set before him. Or consider Aisha. She parks her Fiesta alongside Mercedes and Jags of her colleagues. When are you going to get a decent car, they keep asking. But a flashy car doesn't do it for Aisha. It just doesn't seem important. She has better things to spend her money on, like missions or the poor or others who are in need. That's where her heart is. And that's okay. The treasures of heaven are better than the treasures of earth. That's just an excerpt of people who through the gospel are so forward-looking to eternity that this life, they find a peace. They find a rest in it. Um, I want to challenge you guys. I have a bunch more of these books. And, and in particular, I want to challenge men. But I don't care. Anybody take the book. It's $8. If you don't have $8, I don't care. If you promise me you'll read the book, take it. All right? My wife will be out there. This is a great book. Some of us are meeting at my house at 7.30. Steal the book. Don't pay. I don't care. Show up at my house at 7.30. Sorry, 7.30. If you don't know where I live, find me. Find anybody most people have been to my house now look me up online whatever come to my house and talk about this if you desire to have a life that is gospel centered thursday thank you <laughs> praise god for wives thursday 7:30 read the first chapter or two it's an easy read My dad's not a reader. This is the book I sent him when I said, what are you doing? I talked to him two days ago. He's already read through the book. I gave him a week before we discussed chapter one. He's like, I'm done with the book. Read it. We have a ton of books out there. Right? I took some. This is another good one. If you have kids and you want to talk about the word of the Lord and how it changes you, get this book. Ten-minute devotions. The long story short. It's easy. Read it. We have other books. Some of them are gone. Someone already stole them. We got Total Church out there, which is talking all about this stuff. Desiring God. Um, big truths for young hearts. I know the table's not set up. I told my wife, just pull the thing out. Stop and get some of the books. But more importantly, get into this book. We can't have the word of the Lord sounding forth from us if we don't even know the word of the Lord. So when we leave, stop at that table, harass my wife, get books, take them home, read them. If we run out of books, come back next week. We'll get more. Maybe not the same ones, but good books. If our lives are centered on the gospel, they should beg the question, how? How did you overcome sin? How do you serve selflessly? How are you at peace and rest in the mess of life? How? Our answer should be, we've been transformed by the power of God through his gospel message. I would love to share it with you. Do you have a moment? Christians, we are called to live a radical life of glory and intentionality. Ask yourself, how will God be glorified in this? Let us this year and for the rest of the years and the rest of the days of our lives, Come to resolve to live a life 
that is centered on the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for this gospel. Lord, we hear it over and over and over again, Lord. Sometimes we forget what it's really about. Lord, I pray that you help us to see the fullness of the gospel. Let's not just dwell on one and two little points here and there, Lord, but let us not just see, but experience the fullness of the gospel. Lord, let us allow it to transform us, to live a life that just begs the question. Lord, transform us to have lives that are just so radical that even other believers look at us and say, that's amazing. Amazing. And in that, Lord, our pride won't be puffed up because we have nothing to say for it except You. You did this in us, Lord. You have saved us. You have redeemed us. You have transformed us. You have made us new. You have changed my desires, our desires, Lord. You are the one who should be praised. You are the one who should be glorified in all that we do. Lord, help us to seek the gospel out. Help us to not be okay with complacency. Lord, help us to find new life in you, in you alone. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is... Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.